You're listening live to Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM, Auburn's home for student-run radio since 1971. As many of our listeners know, this is Weagle's one and only weekly drive-time morning show, bringing you weather, sports, the menus at the edge, weird news stories, Alabama State history, and more every Monday through Thursday. Broadcasting live from the Bradley-Bazden WEGL studio on the first floor of the Harold Melton Student Center, I'm your Tuesday host, Alex Houston. Now, as always, let's take a look at the weather. It was 41 degrees when I woke up this morning. Why? I was told spring was around the corner, or we're supposed to be in it right now, but apparently it is not. It'll get as high as 73 degrees, though, later on to actually 74 degrees. So wear some warmish clothes to start the day and then slowly peel off those layers as the temperatures tend to rise. But don't worry, it'll also go back down to 59 degrees by 10 p.m. Now today, I'm really excited about the fact that I got to interview Auburn Athletics Director John Cohen, a 41-minute interview. Bear with us for all that time that it'll take to get through. We had a lot of fun there just talking about all sorts of things related to NIL, the Hugh Freeze hiring, facility management around the university, his favorite restaurants around Auburn University, and more. So why don't we go ahead and get right into that. Again, this is part one of three parts of my interview with Athletics Director John Cohen. We'll do part one, go to a commercial break, come back for part two, go to another commercial break, and then come back for part three and then wrap up the show. But again, you're listening to Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM, and let's get right into it. I'm here with Athletic Director uh, John Cohen. Uh, who was recently hired here at Auburn University. Mr. Cohen, how are you doing today? Doing wonderful. It's a great day on the plains. War Eagle. War Eagle, Mr. Cohen. And I wanted to ask you, there's so many things I can't wait to talk about. Again, I really want to thank you so much for joining us here at Weagle. Because as, as we were talking about a bit earlier, I don't think you knew that uh, Auburn had a student-run radio station. Not many people seem to. I actually, I did. Really? Yes. You guys do a really good job of promoting this. I've seen your stuff on social media. And uh, I, I think... It's a very appropriately named uh, radio station. For yeah, sure. absolutely. We, we were lucky enough to get started in 1971 when there weren't a lot of call signs out there. So I think we were able to snag this one real quick, which we, of course, are Weagle 91.1 FM. We call ourselves where every genre lives, where every game lives, because we get to do Auburn volleyball and Auburn soccer. So I kind of want to pivot a bit back to when you got hired here on the Plains, because I was watching a couple of your interviews you've done with a couple other outlets around here. And I think it was an interview with Auburn Live where you said you liked a lot of the coaches that you were able to inherit. And I really wanted to wonder what your sort of mindset there was, because obviously when you get hired, football is in a tumultuous situation, I think is is certainly a way to call it. But whether it's gymnastics or basketball with Coach Jay and Bruce Pearl, softball, baseball, soccer, equestrian even, all those sports were relatively stable with coaches that were either having a lot of success or going in the right direction. So how does your kind of evaluation process go when you get hired and a lot of the coach, a lot of the programs are in some stable spots. Yeah, I, I think that the the vast majority, if not all, of our um, sports, and there's 21 of them, have really solid leadership uh, up up and down the you know the board here. And and I'm just really privileged to work with these folks. Um, you know, I'm not sure I would have been interested in this position if not for the the quality of people that uh, I, I get the opportunity to work with. And really, that starts with Dr. Chris Roberts. He's just been a phenomenal um, resource for me. Um, he's given his life to Auburn University. Obviously, he was a dean of the School of Engineering, but um, his interpersonal skills, his leadership skills are, are just phenomenal. And again, I, you're absolutely right. I, our staff here at Auburn in the athletic department, um, it, it was an easy adjustment because of the quality of the people. 
And I want to even touch on, you know, in my four years here, one of the sports that I've got a privilege to cover and see grow more than any has been gymnastics. It's had a serious explosion these last four years, obviously, with SUNY Lee coming in these last two years. I know that gymnastics was not a sport that you had while at Mississippi State. So how do you, when get hired, get sort of acclimated to that sport? Because I'm sure, you know, with 21 sports, you don't go so day-to-day with each one. But how do you sort of get acclimated to that environment and working with that group that you had not worked with before? Yeah, a I, I, lot to learn in gymnastics, although I, I worked for seven years at the University of Missouri, and they have gymnastics. I worked at the University of Florida, who had gymnastics, Kentucky, who had gymnastics. So I am familiar with it, but... Uh, don't pretend to be the expert, obviously, that Jeff is. He's done a tremendous job with this program, and the star power we have in that program is incredible. And quite frankly, the the production of a gymnastics meet uh, was something that I was a little bit unfamiliar with. But I, I, I'm convinced, and I've asked this question, that Auburn does it better than, than anybody else. Um, you know, there's the beauty of the sport, the athleticism of the sport, but also – there's a danger. There's a hint of danger in the sport as well. I, I, I mean, you know, God forbid anything would ever happen, but but these kids are really at risk, and, and the way they handle uh, these opportunities is just amazing. These are not just great student athletes. They're great people. They're great students, and I, I've really enjoyed getting to uh, – to familiarize myself with the sport of gymnastics. Absolutely. We've been lucky enough here as well. I got to interview Jeff Grabe on this show as well as uh, sophomore gymnast Sophia Growth. And even after watching it for four years, Beam still stresses me out just as a fan because, like you said, it is incredibly dangerous, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize. And even speaking to people that I know who didn't watch gymnastics other than the Olympics, they come here and watch Auburn, and they're just completely hooked because of how much that star power is. And again, Darion Goborn's going to national championship again, which I'm sure everybody around the athletic department is very excited about for her. I also want to touch on a few things you've talked about with, like that you said, the experience and the production value of it. In your interview with Auburn Undercover, you had said that you wanted to bring more wow factor to Jordan-Hare Stadium. And obviously that can be in a variety of factors, but what does that look like to you? What is the wow that you're looking for to bring to that stadium? Well, there, there's no question. You, you look into the north end zone, and it's a little bit dated. And, you know, I, I, I've had probably about 87,000 uh, <laughs> uh, people uh, make me aware of that. The tradition of the stadium, the, the bones of the stadium are all excellent. Um, and the things that have happened in that stadium – are historic in so many different ways, but we do have to keep up. And th- there are some little things we need to do from a premium standpoint, from a an aesthetic standpoint. And and that or- north end zone is a tremendous opportunity, not only for our athletic department, but but for the university, for Auburn University as well. So um, in the very beginning stages of what ifs, um, and looking what has been thrown against the wall in the past. Um, and so this exploratory nature of, of this to me is extremely exciting because I, I think there's so many opportunities there. And one thing I want to really touch on with that North End Zone is that everybody's got their own plans for it. I know that the athletic department, like in 2015, released some sort of plans that never came to fruition. I've had a lot of people ask me about expansion, and I know that nowadays in stadiums, they're not trending upwards, they're trending downwards because with television broadcast, expansion's not really the way to go. Is that something that's on y'all's radar or is it more about experience-based improvement? Yeah, I think what's happened over the last 20 or 30 years is this. The, pro- the television production value is at such a high level with ESPN, ABC, and our partners at Disney, and, and of course the history with CBS. 
it's such an event on television. I mean, that's undeniable that a lot of folks would say, I'm just going to sit in my living room or I'm going to be around my family and my loved ones and I'm going to watch on television. That's not a problem. Why? Because Auburn gets value out of that as well as the rest of the Southeastern Conference. But we still need to create that environment that everybody is watching on television. And you only do that by getting people into the stadium. So we have to encourage people to get in the stadium. You do that by offering premium opportunities, by making people as comfortable as they can be and providing you know, a, a great content, live content, in, in a way that that hopefully is enjoyable to the consumer. And um, you know, I, I I know that what keeps people coming back is the experience they've had in the past. And you know, we all remember being students. We all remember getting sunburned. We all remember how hot it is early in the year. But we, we still need that type of spirited environment because that, that's what makes it enjoyable for everybody. Absolutely. I think I definitely uh, feel that same sentiment because speaking from experience as one of the members of the basketball fan base here and all the absurd conditions that we've all waited in lines for. But once you get there, you kind of just forget about everything. And I think that's definitely a good point. And I want to touch on a similar thing you said about Plainsman Park in an interview. I believe you said it wasn't even in the top half of the SC at this point. Obviously, it was very state-of-the-art when it was built. I know a lot of plans have been announced, but what is your top priority when it comes to renovating Plainsman Park and improving it for the future? Well, there there's several uh, things to unpack. Num- number one, anytime you build a facility, you have to ask yourself, how is this benefiting the student-athlete? How is this benefiting the fan? How is this benefiting the students on campus? And you have to address all those issues, um, as well as ADA and, and several others. So... Um, we, we've kind of looked at the plan that we had from the very beginning. Uh, we've brought in Coach Thompson, who's, who's just done an incredible job here at Auburn, not, not only with his baseball program, but in this community and beyond, and said, what's important to you? And I'm not sure that anybody had asked Coach Thompson at that point in time, what's important to you? And, and we cut it and pasted you know, all the, the parts of the project and added some things. And uh, I, I think we're, we, what we've realized is we, for, for the amount of money that we're going to spend on this facility, we can get a lot more bang for our buck by making a couple of adjustments. And I really think, um, obviously, I'll admit that I'm not exactly a huge baseball fan, but a lot of the inspiration it took from some of the more famous ballparks around um, the country is a very good baseline to build off of. And one of those things that you've been building, I want to talk about this for a minute. I know you were a major factor with the refurbishment of many athletic facilities at Mississippi State's campus. I actually got to go there for the first time this past year for the Auburn football game. And one thing that really stuck out to me and my dad when we were there were all of the different kind of market-style concession stands. And I know that one of those is at least in place at the Home Plate Grill at Plainsman Park. Can you just talk to me about that idea, where it came from, and is the Plainsman Park one a sort of test for a bigger expansion of that plan? Yeah, you know, that's what we call the grab-and-go principle. And you you can go to any Publix, Winn-Dixie, anywhere, and now you have a – you know, uh, a grab and go opportunity. You don't. You really don't have to be checked out by a clerk. You, you can do it on your own. And I just think that's the future. And I, I think young people like yourself and students on campus, that's what they're, you're kind of used to. I mean, e- even with fast food now. I mean, you're going to go to your app, you're going to make the order, and you're going to go pick it up. There's not a ton of interaction now. There are folks who would say that that's not a good thing because we don't have as much interaction in in society as we should. But when the consumer wants to order on their own and and pick it up when they want to pick it up and they want to be mobile and 
and time is of the essence, and you don't want long lines. I, I think these are the types of things we can do with our concessions at Auburn to make it more convenient for everybody. And I think, like you said there, with people talking about human interaction, the issue is when you've got 87,451 people in a football stadium, sure, you get human interaction, but you're also in line for 20 to 30 minutes. Is that something that you guys are going to look at adding into Jordan-Hare Stadium I don't know, obviously maybe next year might be a quick turnaround, but in the foreseeable future. Yeah, there's some initial investment that we're, we're, we're going to have to do. Um, we, we just uh, hired Rhett Hobart, who came with me from Mississippi State, who's in charge of our external, and he's done such a great job. Jeremy Roberts is somebody who's been at Auburn for a long time, who, who's given us a ton of information about the Auburn game day experience. We're going to improve that. And, and we want to help these lines. And, and grab-and-go grab and technology is something that, that we feel like will, will definitely help. I will say, speaking from experience at the Mississippi State game, it did happen to work pretty well. I was able to get food three or four times during that game because it was a lot longer than I expected when everybody kept scoring and it went to <laughs> overtime a few times. I, that was a, a, certainly a game, to say the least. And I kind of want to go forward with a couple things. You've talked about getting acclimated to a couple different Auburn sporting sports teams and whatnot what has been your favorite sporting event to attend as an athletic director because i've seen you around a couple of the games myself i was wondering which one has really stuck out to you well i, I tell you i do love gymnastics because of all the things i just mentioned you know the, the the beauty of it the the athleticism but also that that hint of the what if uh, there are a lot, i i love going and watching our tennis teams play not a because they're very very good but the speed of that game you know, the, the ball's coming off the racket at 100-plus miles an hour. And the fact that the SEC is just the, the best league in all of these sports, but especially in ten, men's and women's tennis. Loved going to swimming. Alabama was in town. We had a dual meet. It was packed. It was a raucous type of environment at, at our aquatic center. Um, loved going to our softball games. Feel like there's a great vibe there. Um, obviously, baseball is, is my background. I, I've, I've been to Plainsman Park many, many times. But also equestrian is something that's been really interesting to me, learning about that sport. And you have to learn about it because we're so damn good at it at, at Auburn. And, uh, you know, Coach Williams has done such a, an amazing job with that. I, I really love them all. The one sport I haven't been able to get to as much as I wanted to is golf. And both of our golf teams, men's and women's, have been really elite. Got out to see the men's team once, but – we have the SEC championships coming up, and I definitely want to see those guys again. And I guess football, you, you you had gotten hired, so you got a chance to experience that in sort of the Cadillac run there at the end of the season. And I want to touch on equestrian a bit as well because that was one of the sports I was wondering. You said you had experienced gymnastics at other programs you had worked at. Equestrian, though, seems to be a little less common of a sport. Had you had any experience with that before now? Yeah, Going back to the football part, the reason I mentioned the football is, I mean, that's the no-brainer. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I, my first game uh, at at Auburn was Texas A&M, and I literally thought we were playing for an opportunity to, to win a national championship, and Cadillac did such a great job with that. What an incredible environment. That speaks to what Auburn is really about, and I was just thrilled to be a part of that. <laughs> but, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean uh, – there are so many other opportunities within the framework of the athletic department that that are, are so unique here at Auburn, and equestrian is definitely one of them. And again, that was part one of my interview with John Cohen. We're going to go to a quick PSA break. You're listening to Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM, and we'll be right back after this.
We're back right here on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. This is Compact Discourse. I'm Alex Houston, your Tuesday host. Wishing you all who are just now tuning in a good morning. Again, we are doing our exclusive interview with Auburn Athletics Director John Cohen. So why don't we go ahead and get right in to part two. Again, this is our interview with John Cohen. We'll be back, and then we'll wrap it up with part three. Absolutely, and I kind of want to pivot a bit towards football for a moment. Obviously, I want to touch a bit on the hiring process that went down there. First and foremost, you talked about Cadillac there. He has had such a reverberating effect on the program. I feel like I'd heard the statement, if you love Auburn, Auburn will love you back once or twice, but then he brings it up, and now I've heard it from Sophia Growth that came on the show. I've seen you mention it. How pivotal was it to keep him on staff? Obviously, I know you can't go into the entire behind-the-scenes discussions, I'm sure, but what, what sort of discussions were there about how pivotal it was to keep him around because of the impact he had had in such a short time? Yeah, and I you know I really wish that everyone could have seen his pregame, postgame speeches to the teams um, more than anything, more than X's and O's, more than, uh, than anything he could have said. His love for Auburn and, and his pride in being an Auburn man um, really came through. And, and to me... The way the kids responded to him, yes, I, I thought it was really important to have him on the staff. But I didn't have to talk Coach Freeze into that. He knew that. And he wanted Cadillac to be a part of it. Um, Cadillac is integral to what they're doing from a recruiting standpoint, what they're doing with the offensive side of the team, and quite frankly, the passion and the spirit of the team. So I, 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 to me, that was a no-brainer. And, and again, Coach Freeze felt the same way. And I do want to talk talk about the uh, Coach Freeze hiring for just a moment. I know I'm sure you get a lot of questions about this, and this was in an interview I saw. You used the word thought or used the word thorough a lot, and I know you can't obviously delve into the entire hiring process. I'm sure because I'm sure it was very extensive. But what about it made it so thorough? Because obviously, anytime you're hiring the coach of the top program at any university, it's got to be thorough. But what was sort of some of the steps you took to get that in depth discussion? Well, when when you have four or five hours of conversation with somebody and everything they tell you comes out the other side and you have 50 other people say exactly the same thing. And, you know, you speak to university administrators, wherever Coach Freeze has been, you speak to his former players, both men and women. Now, he coached women's basketball in high school and talking to members uh, of the women's basketball team that he – that might have been one of the more telling, touching – uh, interviews that, that I've ever done is talking to members of that basketball team because they told us how important Coach Freeze was to the, the development of their life, not only as an athlete, but as a student as well, and how motivational he was to them and, and how supportive he was and is. Um, we, we went deep into this, and the, the thing you can't do when you're an administrator is you can't take 150 hours worth of research and condense that into a five-minute response that's going to make everybody happy. It's just not going to work that way. But I think we did our work, and it is work. And you, you do your due diligence. You include the right group of people around you to see, hey, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Are you hearing what I'm hearing? And, and then, you know, there's a genuine factor. How genuine is this man? How transparent is he? Every single person that, that has come across Coach Freeze has talked about his transparency, whether it's recruits, whether it's current players, whether it's staff members, or just people interested in his story. And that transparency is something you don't see with a lot of coaches. A lot of coaches like to keep a lot of secrets. Coach Freeze is an open book, and he'll tell anybody his story, which is a very interesting one. 
That that's that's a very interesting point. I I, I was I was I was wondering uh, how you were going to take that, especially with again, like you said about the fact that that transparency, which I think that's something that he has taken in his press conference as well, with trying to be as transparent as possible. And I remember in his introductory press conference, he was just saying, "I'll be transparent and try and get people to trust me," because I know there was a certain reaction to that. I want to pivot a bit towards a day then this past weekend. Obviously, things may have not gone as planned because of the weather, but still, what was that like seeing the department? adjust on a dime and adjust everything around that weather because I know obviously it was a little difficult to work around. Well, I think as a first glimpse, I think our fan base and the Auburn family can say this. They can say, hey, nine out of ten Power Five football programs would have canceled the day. Coach Free said, I want to play. And I don't care if there's 100 people there or 100,000 people there. I want to play because our Auburn family deserves this. And we're not going to let a little bit of rain stop us from going out and performing. And I, I think it was entertaining. I, I think the kids got a lot out of it. And, you know, as an old coach myself, if you're going to play games in the rain, and we will, real games, meaningful games in the rain, you got to practice in the rain. And we got that opportunity as well. I was about to say, I've been to a couple of those in the round. I know one of the legendary Auburn football games of the recent years was the West Virginia game, which I don't know if you've ever heard about that game before, but where – it was postponed for an hour, and they told the students to leave the stadium, and they just refused to leave the stadium, and they're there for the next three hours or whatever. I personally went to the Arkansas game. I want to say it was during COVID, and it rained for about two and a half straight hours. And even though there was only about 10,000 people there, we stuck through it as best we could. And you're definitely right. There will be a lot of those coming up. And I want to touch on also, obviously. By the way, uh, the yeah, reason they want you to leave the stadium is because of lightning. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> yeah. It's for the safety of everyone involved. So um, we're we're not kicking people out of the stadium, you know, for any other reason except the the safety of our fans. Oh, absolutely. And I got. Uh, I actually had a class with Rick Smith, who's the Auburn PA announcer, and he talked about that West Virginia game and how he was there telling them to go, and they just refused to. And I don't. <laughs> I don't know if that would work out as much. I think. I think you guys probably have a big better plan in place than just than just hoping that the students will leave because they were certainly a rowdy crowd for that one. I think that was. I want to say it was the first game of the 2009 season, at least at home. And I want to touch on with other big event that happened on A-Day, obviously, is the Frank Thomas statue unveiling. When he was giving his uh, sort of announcement, he mentioned that it was the idea of Alan Green and Butch Thompson who came to him last year. And Tim Jackson also mentioned the importance of how few statues Auburn does give to athletes and how it really is a significant moment. There's been a lot of push um, to build some more statues around the campus for female athletes. I know Ruthie Bolton's been a lot of discussion. We just talked about it, or I just talked about Darion Goborn. I personally have made an argument or two in her favor because she is the only, or she was the first national champion in Auburn gymnastics history. What sort of um, stance are you taking on that, and sort of how are you looking into statues? Is that how big on that on your radar is that as an idea? Well, in the athletic department, we've already formed a committee with, with folks who former coaches, with administrators, and, and quite frankly, uh, part people who involve the Auburn family to to try and make those decisions. There is no question that we're underrepresented in terms of women, and we've had some great women athletes here at Auburn. Not not just great women athletes, but great people as well who are, who are very deserving. Um, you know, when you, you think about a, a Rowdy Gaines, you know, arguably the, the greatest swimmer in SEC history, and you think there's, you know, we don't have a statue for him, you know, a Ruthie Bolton comes to mind. There, and there are several other women that, that we're considering as well. It, uh, number one, it's not a cheap thing. It's, it's yeah. an expensive, long process. Uh, I've done this before at Mississippi State. 
And now seeing this come to fruition at Auburn, and by the way, Alan Green absolutely and Butch Thompson were the ones who really pushed us through, and I'm so glad that we did this. And Frank, I got the opportunity to play against Frank in college. Um, he, he, he was a generational athlete who just happened to be an incredible baseball player as well. Um, I, I just I, I think we have some work to do there for, for sure. Um, and you know, we, you, you don't, you just don't throw up statues. Um, this campus and, and our administration takes it ex- really seriously, and, and we're going to continue to do that. But uh, going to have to make some tough decisions. Absolutely, and I think that is definitely. I'm glad you touched on the fact that it is an expensive thing too. It's not. I think people do think it's very easy because it's you know it's hidden away in a tarp the whole time, and then it's just suddenly there, and you forget that it's a many months long process. Like again, I was really surprised to hear that the Frank Thomas statue was in the works with Butch Thompson and Alan Green because the athletic department only announced it relatively recently before it then came to fruition. So I think that's a very good point to touch on that. And I guess I want to wonder about Frank Thomas for a moment. I personally am not a huge baseball fan. I'll admit, I know, I know that maybe maybe sacrilege with everything that's happening at Plainsman Park and you a baseball guy yourself. But for me, Frank Thomas, my main idea was all the commercials he had ever been in. And I knew he went to Auburn, and then I think you touched on his incredible statistical career in the MLB. So what was that like to be able to get him to come back and to build that statue? I know Butch Thompson touched on the fact that it's going to be a nationwide thing because he is such a historic player in the MLB as well. He is. I would imagine there will be a lot of pilgrimage from – the Midwest and, and the Chicagoland area to come see Frank's statue here. There's already a, a statue of him uh, in front of the White Sox ballpark. Um, but Frank is just the total package. You, you can't do what he did. And, and I tell our, a lot of our athletes this. You can't do what he did without being tough-minded, disciplined, hard worker, but also highly intelligent. You can't survive in the game that long without being able – to have all those attributes, yes, he's physically gifted, but at the same time, you got to work at it, and you got to use your mind. And he has a brilliant mind, not just a brilliant baseball mind. And um, I, I think he was a brilliant announcer. Um, and I, I think Frank has told me over and over again. He's like, he said, John, we're we're going to get back to Auburn. Well, I want to come back for football games. I want to come back for baseball games. And we're just we're going to be thrilled to have him. Yeah, definitely. And I think, again, that statue looks great. For I think there's a lot of rave reviews about that because lately with sports, there have been there have been some statues out there. Like I know the Ronaldo statue was very infamously mocked, but I think Auburn has really hit the mark on all the statues they built and that one included. And I want to talk about something that I saw you mention. I want to say it was an interview with Auburn Live about Auburn baseball being at a disadvantage in terms of scholarship help. I didn't fully understand exactly what the situation is there. So could you explain that a bit more thoroughly in terms of how they are at that disadvantage, why they're at that disadvantage, and what they can do to work around it, I guess? Well, let's start by saying this. A couple of weeks ago, Auburn went over the 50,000 mark in terms of student applications for the fall of 23. That's incredible. So what that says is Auburn is not in need of students. I mean, some of the brightest students in this country are applying to Auburn University. Other institutions um, who are trying to attract that caliber of students use a ton of scholarship aid to do so. Um, and I, I, schools around the country that have this scholarship aid available to sell to baseball players or softball players what we call equivalency sports. In other words, they have to break up in baseball, for example, 11.7 scholarships that's shared by 30, 30 kids. Now, it might move back to 27 at some point. But actually, I think it's 32 at this point. But um, 
if you're in a state like Georgia, you have a Hope Scholarship, which goes across, you know, for 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 the really good students, they have their tuition paid for for any institute. Well, you can see in a sport like baseball, that's a, a huge advantage. In LSU, Louisiana has the TOPS program. Uh, Florida has the Bright Futures program. So what those baseball coaches can do is couple the, the academic scholarships along with the baseball scholarship and have more scholarships to offer. In the state of Alabama, we just – you know, at Auburn and quite frankly, Alabama, there's just not as many um, opportunities for those types of, of scholarships. Again, because so many kids are applying to that institution. At a place like Vanderbilt, they have need-based aid and they have all kinds of aid. I mean, Vanderbilt might have the best scholarship situation in Division One athletics, period, in terms of their baseball program. So, um, and again, not being critical of that, not, but but if you're at Auburn and Butch Thompson is at Auburn, you're at a little bit of a disadvantage just because, let's face it, at least until very recently, you know, the, the, the scholarship aid makes a difference. Because if Butch Thompson's offering a young man 50% and Vanderbilt is offering 90%, the assumption of the student athlete is they want me more at Vanderbilt. That's not the case. It's just what we have to offer. And so... One of the interesting things about baseball and equivalency sports is you, every single school has a different amount of total scholarship to offer to the student athletes. And in a headcount sport, that can't be. In football, there's 85 full scholarships, and that's it. It's it. If a kid plays and they're, they're a walk-on, eventually they have to count as one of those 85. So um, the, it, at least, with, and now with the advent of name, image, and likeness, all of this is going to change because there are some opportunities for student-athletes once they get to campus. Um, but, yeah, I, I, all of that is to say I think Butch Thompson has done a brilliant job at a place where it hasn't been as easy to attract uh, players with scholarship aid. And you use that term equivalency sports. What exactly does that uh, mean? Is that just like sports that are at that same level, or what, what exactly does that mean? Well, in a headcount sport, you're either on zero aid or on a full ride. In equivalency sport, you can be on $500 scholarship for athletics. Okay. $1,000, 50%, 70%. So that is the case of soccer. It's the case of equestrian. It's the case of volleyball. It's the case of baseball. Um, there's so many equivalency sports uh, to where the, these coaches are having to chop up scholarships and negotiate with parents and, and with prospective student-athletes. And again, that was part two of my interview with Auburn Athletics Director John Cohen. Don't go anywhere, though. We'll be right back in just about two minutes of PSAs for more of Weagle 91.1 FM's interview with Auburn Athletics Director John Cohen. This is Compact Discourse on Weagle and WeagleFM.com. I'm Alex Houston, and we'll be back right after this. And we're back here in the Bradley Basin WEGL studio. This is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. I'm your Tuesday host, Alex Houston, and we are continuing our exclusive interview with Auburn Athletics Director John Cohen. Again, he he stepped into the bullpen yesterday and sat down with me to talk about everything ranging from NIL to future plans for athletic facilities around the campus. And why don't we get right back into that right now? 
and you mentioned it with NIL. I saw, I heard you hint about it before you did, then brought it up officially. Obviously, NIL has changed the landscape of sports and is going to continue to change it. One thing I saw you talk about in one of your interviews was about the fact that now with NIL and onto victory, donor money is pulled in two different directions. Whereas originally, if you wanted to donate to Auburn, you would donate to the athletic department, and that money could be used to build whatever. Now, people are going to be courted differently. So how does that work on y'all's end? Because obviously I know On to Victory has got to be completely separate, but does that create a bigger emphasis on courting families like the Nevilles, who donated $20 million to the athletic department? Is there a greater emphasis on that point now, or is it still murky waters? Well, there's no question that name, image, and likeness has affected the bottom line of our athletic department, but it's critical. And the folks who are running On to Victory are really, really outstanding Auburn people who are getting nothing out of their efforts for Auburn. They're doing it because of their love and passion for Auburn. Anybody within the sound of my voice, we would love for you to consider um, helping on to victory. It's an incredible organization that is doing nothing except helping our student athletes find opportunities. And I, I, I just applaud what they're doing, but you're right. In, in some cases, uh, some of the fundraising that we've done in the past has been diverted, um, and we're, we're, you know, Tigers Unlimited, uh, and Tim Jackson has headed that up for a while now, has done a great job with that. It has affected our, our bottom line. Um, what we need is a standard, okay? So e- either from the Southeastern Conference or from the NCAA or from the federal government or the state government, we need a standard for what can and can't be uh, done because as we have seen across the landscape of college athletics right now, there is no standard. And there are even schools within the framework of the Southeastern Conference right now who are doing things that we have been told are illegal and not to do. And I, I, we are waiting. We're not going to do it all, but we're going to do it the right way. We're not going to do anything without hearing from the people who govern us, the Southeastern Conference and our state government and the NCAA and the federal government, but we're going to start pushing hard uh, on that because we we want to have every advantage that every other school in our league and every other Power Five school has. Definitely, and I don't know how it was at Mississippi State, but I remember <clears throat> in doing my project here at Alabama or in Auburn and in the state of Alabama, the state had passed laws specifically about interactions, and then subsequently got rid of them because Nick Saban and I think many athletic departments were lobbying that it put the state at a disadvantage to the rest of their conference. And already twice, the landscape has been changed at the state level alone. Yeah, and, and again, the, the folks who changed those laws and created those laws have the right spirit. They have the right idea. And none of this is their fault. If we had a national standard, yeah. we, we would be able to make adjustments. We'd be able to help our student-athletes at the highest level within the framework of the rules or laws or policies. And right now we don't have a standard, and that's pretty clear. And I, I just uh, – that's my goal. I, I, along with the athletic directors in the Southeastern Conference, I, I think almost to a person, and we have some great athletic directors in this league. We have some great presidents and chancellors. We need a national standard, and we're going to keep pushing for that. And what? how do you push for that? Like I know obviously there's – some ways, but what specifically can you guys at y'all's level do to try and enact that kind of change? Yeah, I, I think I think mostly it's with, with our state legislature. I think it's with um, Greg Sankey in the Southeastern Conference. It's with enforcement uh, 
at the NCAA, um, and, and it's through our own, you know, congressmen and, and senators who, who um, represent us in Washington D.C. I, I think an open and by the way, we we have had conversations with all those folks, and I think there's a frustration because I think, especially the folks in the Deep South, especially the the people who represent us in the state of Alabama, they get it, they understand it. The, the challenge, I think, is explaining that to the rest of the country who might not get it. They don't understand, the rest of the country probably doesn't understand the free-for-all that exists right now in college athletics. And when I say free-for-all, what I'm talking about is something that doesn't even exist in high school sports. Uh, there's a free agency. It, when, when you're a high school athlete, you are bound by the fact that you live in a certain school district or if you chur- choose to go to a private school, what can or can't be done. Um. Even in Little League, the Little League team, there's a draft and you get this many points and you get to choose this player and you use this many points for this, this player or whatever. There is a standard in every form of amateur athletics except the highest level, which is the NCAA and, and Division One sports right now. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm, Alex, I will have said this for the fifth time. I'm going to say it again. We need a standard and once we have a standard, we can use our own creativity and our own elbow grease to get out there and make it work. But until that standard exists, we're all just guessing. And you use that word for agency, and I think a lot of people's ears may perk up and say, oh, well, the NFL and all the major pro sports leagues do have a free agency. But for the case of the NFL, that's been a 30-year process of figuring out the system and a lot of standards that do affect that. And here, it is the most literal definition of free agency in college sports because there isn't much of anything outside of what athletic departments are allowed to say. Well, think about this. A rookie who enters the, the league is not a free agent. The, the, the rookie who enters the NFL is not a free agent. And his contract is owned by a club. And he can't make that decision where he wants to go. He can't say, or she, if you're talking about the WNBA or other sports, they can't say, well, I don't like this team um, I, I'm just going to leave and, and become a free agent anywhere else I want to become. There is a standard for every professional sports league that, quite frankly, doesn't exist. I, I had a kid at Mississippi State played for me. He's one of the best pitchers in the game. His name's Brandon Woodruff. Played six years in the big leagues. He, he has to pay what, what Milwaukee will pay him because he can't get to free agency until after six full years in the big leagues. Six years. But right now, theoretically, in the college game, in, in all of our sports, you, you go to place one, hey, if I can get more, a better name, image, and likeness deal, I'll go to place two. And in some cases, many cases, if I don't like that deal, I'm going to go to place three. I mean, I understand and I, I treasure the freedom. I was actually a transfer student. I transferred from Birmingham Southern after my freshman year to go to Mississippi State. But there were standards at the time that made me think about the process. Right now, I think a lot of student-athletes, and this is one thing that's great about Auburn, our coaches do a great job of communicating with our kids, and I think there's a free flow of information to where they're, they're making great decisions for their family, for themselves, and also with the, the coaches. But um, there, there is nothing to stop a collective from another school of coming in and offering anybody anything from another school. And that the, the fact that that exists means we're going to have a free agent, uh, free-for-all in, in intercollegiate athletics. And I, the, the people who really pay the price are people like you, Alex, the fans, 
because you honestly don't know who's going to be on our rosters next year. And, and I think that's a disservice to you and, and fans across the board. But again, I want to say this out loud. Our coaches here at Auburn, in my opinion, are doing it the right way. And they're doing it in a way that I think we can all be proud of. And I think you definitely have Auburn being at the forefront of it in a certain way with a athlete like Suni Lee, who is only in college because NIL was created during the time that she was at the Olympics. Because obviously, if it wasn't, there would not have been a lot of incentive to go to college and pass up all that um, revenue. And I think you're also right in the fact that it is not really known because it still kind of happens behind the scenes because nobody knows what's legal and what isn't. So nobody wants to be very open about what is happening because nobody knows the rules there. And you talked a lot about pushing for a national standard. And I think every athletic director, at least in Auburn's more recent history, has had a moment or a specific agenda that left their mark on the program as a whole and on the university. What is your, I guess, big goal or idea that you want to be able to look back on 10, 20 years down the line and hang your hat on and say, that's what I did to change this university? Yeah, I I want our kids to come back 10 years from now, our student athletes and and students on this campus to say, that was the best four years of my life. I I grew as a person. I grew as a student athlete. I want to build things. I, I want our facilities to 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 get better. We have great, some great facilities, and we have some work to do in, with some of our other facilities. So I want to build that. Um, I I want to make sure that we continue to have one of the great environments in all of college athletics. And you've mentioned over and over again, uh, gymnastics is the best. Basketball is the best. Football is the best. Baseball is getting closer to to what we want it to be. I, I want all of our environments to be among the the best. Um, I, I want our coaches to grow. I want them to have the freedom to run the, their program the way they see fit. And I want there to be a great relationship with our, our, our Auburn family and with our student-athletes. So that's, if we can do those things, it makes it a lot easier to sleep at night. And that's, that's a very good point. I've got one last question for you, a bit of a different direction here. A lot of people have asked you about how it's been to be welcomed by the Auburn fan base and whatnot. But we on this show talk a lot about food. I talk a lot about the uh, the edge and their menus every day. So I want to ask you, what is the go-to restaurant for John Cohen since you've been here in Auburn? What's your what's your top place? Wow, there's there's several of them. Um, and, of course, number of, I will tell you this. Somebody handed me a Bucky's brisket sandwich the other day, and, and it's going to take a long time, A, for me to recover physically from that. But also um, – that was amazing. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I haven't eaten at Bucky's, but that was incredible. I tell you what, and I'm not just saying this. I think our ballpark food is incredible. If you haven't had a pretzel at, at an Auburn venue, you are really missing something. The pretzels we offer are unbelievable. Um, what am I thinking of? Um, my two go-tos downtown have been Moe's, which I know is a chain. Um, I, I love the place right across the street from Moe's on the corner there. Um, Hamilton's. <laughs> I absolutely love Hamilton's. It's just really hard to get into Hamilton's. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and the place right next to uh, City Hall, um, downtown, where they have the everything served with bacon. The Hound. Yeah, that's terrific. There's so many great restaurants in this town. I'm, I know I'm missing many, many of them, but uh, yeah, just just incredible. I love to ask you about one because when we were on the show with Sophia Growth, we talked about the Eardwell Bow, and they have since branded me as Mr. Street Brussels. So I want to ask you if you've ever if you've made it down to Eardwell Bow just yet. You know, Nell has stood in line. My wife has stood in line and gotten us some Eardwell Bow. Um, but it 
again, it, it's so good. You know, there's this old Yogi Berra statement, that place will never get it off the ground because it's always so crowded. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it, what a, yeah, it's an amazing, amazing food, but also I think it, the secrets, it's not a secret anymore. Yeah. So I don't know if you knew this, but it actually used to be a food truck that was went around the city and it just was so popular and had lines to the food truck. They're like, well, we got to go with a storefront and now they're downtown in that area. And now I understand there's a competition. So they have chefs from all over the city who are filling the little, the little dough thing with their own recipes. And I think that's really cool. That, that just speaks to the spirit of Auburn and, and competition and, um, just, just, just what an amazing community this is. And I believe one of the participants in that bow tournament was the Hound. So there, there, there you go with that one. Well, again, uh, John Cohen, I want to thank you so much for joining us here at WEGL 91.1 FM and talking with me today. Thank you, Alex. Enjoyed it. Again, this has been Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. I'm Alex Houston. We'll be right back after this to wrap up the show and talk about our interview with John Cohen. Thanks for listening, and again, we'll be back in two minutes. This is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM, WeagleFM.com. I'm your Tuesday host, Alex Houston, with you here for only a few more minutes as we have to wrap up the show uh, after my exclusive interview with Auburn Athletics Director John Cohen. Again, I want to thank John Cohen for stepping into our bullpen here at Weagle and talking with me yesterday as well as talking with a lot of students around the organization. I want to thank his chief of staff, Lee Van Horn, for helping set that up. And, of course, I want to thank Kirk Sampson with the athletic department who helped me point, who pointed me in the right direction to get that interview set up. It really was a lot of fun, and I hope you all enjoyed it too. Who knows what we're going to interview? Who knows who we're going to interview next on this show? I know we've gotten a chance to interview some really incredible coaches, athletes, and administrators. Maybe I'll go the route of softball next. Anything can happen here on Compact Discourse. And again, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I know I had a few technical difficulties here and there, jumping between the recordings and myself live. It's a new, new thing I hadn't really done before, so, you know, you live and you learn, right? And obviously, with the clock ticking down, I'm not going to be able to go through the entire menu at the edge. I know you all are very sad about that. What? Yeah, I know, Noah. Unfortunately, there will be no um, full-length menu at the edge. However, today, they have a chicken enchilada casserole. I know, some of you may be thinking, casserole? That's a little weird. But trust me, it's pretty good, if I do, if I do say so myself. I quite like it, so I'll probably go in there a little bit later on. Who knows? And again, just want to thank John Cohen again for stepping in to our suite here at Weagle 91.1 FM and talking to me yesterday. And again, this has been Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. I'm your Tuesday host, Alex Houston. So we'll be back again tomorrow, same time, same place, at 8 a.m. with Davis Carroll hosting the show yet again. But you don't have to go anywhere right now because Weagle's programming continues throughout the day. And we also have articles on WeagleFM.com covering sports, entertainment, concert and album reviews, and so much more. Again, this has been Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. And I will see you all next time.